You're listening to Comedy Central. February 27th, 2018. From Comedy Central's World News Headquarters in New York, this is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Guest tonight, CNN senior international correspondent Nima El Bahir is joining us. Everybody, it's going to be a really fascinating conversation. We're going to be talking about the slave trade in Libya. If you've seen the story, you know how harrowing it is. You want to stay tuned for that. But first, over the past week, the discussion in America has been: Should we give teachers guns, or should we not give teachers guns? And teachers have been like, uh, first, can you give us pay? Right now, 20,000 teachers are on strike, forcing every public school to close across West Virginia. Teachers are on the picket lines for a fourth straight day, protesting their pay. Thousands of teachers have come together on the steps of the Capitol building to speak with one voice, that low wages and rising health care costs are making their lives unbearable. The issue has been for me that I qualify for food stamps. As a full-time employed teacher, yes. you qualify for food yes. stamps. Yes, and a lot of our members soon. That was while working two jobs. Look, if there's one thing we can all agree on, it's that teachers should never be on food stamps, ever. Because if they're hungry, they can't shoot straight. Come on, y'all. <laughs> like, if I was a broke teacher and then the government handed me a gun, I'd be like, uh, thank you for that. Okay, kids, wallets and watches in the bag. <laughs> And give me those Cheetos. I'm on food stamps. <laughs> now, some good news. Just before we started taping, like just now, uh, it broke that West Virginia has decided to settle the strike and give its teachers a raise. Finally, which is great. Yeah. And honestly, I'm glad that they got their money because I can only imagine how frustrating it must be for a teacher in West Virginia. They're struggling to make ends meet, but you only get to be the forgotten man if you work in a coal mine. Right? And you do realize that West Virginia has way more teachers than coal miners. Yeah, so next time, to get better pay, instead of going on strike, maybe the teachers should just start holding their classes underground, you know? Yeah, on the plus side, it's almost impossible to cheat on a test in there, yeah. Or breathe, but also cheat. No cheating. Speaking of people not having a good time, today, this happened. Breaking news, presidential son-in-law and senior advisor Jared Kushner has had his security clearance significantly downgraded, sources tell CNN. The downgrade will prevent Kushner from viewing the nation's most sensitive secrets, and it comes after new rules were implemented by Chief of Staff John Kelly. Ooh, that sucks. (laughs) Yeah, now Kushner will have to learn about the nation's most sensitive secrets, just like the rest of us. Wait for Trump to tweet them out. Oh, man. It's got to be so humiliating for Kushner. You know, you have top-level clearance for more than a year and then you lose it, like that never happens. That would be like if your girlfriend made you start using condoms in the middle of your relationship. Like, it's not a good sign, it really isn't. Why is this happening? Don't worry, just, uh, just do it. And also, how is this gonna work? Because he's still gonna be at the White House, but now he's not allowed to hear certain information. So now in meetings, General Kelly will be like, what are we gonna do about the N-U-K-E-S? And Jared will be like, I know what that means. And then Trump will go like, I don't, I don't. What are you saying? N-U-K, naked, who's naked? I'm president, you have to tell me. 
So it's a turbulent time in the White House. In fact, this morning, it was reported that President Trump would make a, quote, shock announcement at some point today. And I'm not going to lie. Everyone here at the show started freaking out, right? Because a shock announcement from Trump could mean anything, right? Is he firing Robert Mueller, invading North Korea, or maybe he's secretly in love with Hillary and they're going for it, you know? He's like, yeah, our celebrity couple name is Donald Trump. Well, it turns out the shocking answer was D, none of the above. All right, some breaking news here. We just learned who will serve as campaign manager for President Trump's re-election bid. Brad Parscale, a former digital director for Trump's 2016 campaign, will be named as campaign manager. He's got a big, long beard, and he's six foot eight. Brad Parscale will be leading the 2020 Trump campaign. Yes, to run his 2020 presidential campaign, President Trump has hired Sasquatch. <laughs> oh, look at this guy. Like, I'm pretty sure I've seen him in every movie. Like, I've seen this guy get killed in every Jason Bourne movie, ever. <laughs> so congratulations, Brad Pascal. You are the new campaign manager. Yeah, just don't ask what happened to the last one. Uh, or the one before that. Uh, or the one before that. But otherwise, good times. <laughs> but since the presidential election isn't uh, gonna happen until 2020, let's talk about the elections that are coming up now. Because it's 2018, people, which means midterms. Yeah. And these elections are shaping up to be dramatic because with Trump's low approval numbers, the Democrats have the momentum going into November. Yeah. The same way Hillary had the momentum going into November. And, <laughs> and rather than have to deal with that blue tidal wave, dozens of Republicans have decided to retire instead. So this campaign season has more empty seats than a birthday dinner for Harvey Weinstein. And those vacancies, those vacancies are shaking things up. Like in Utah, where an open seat has made room for an old character to get a new storyline. Tonight, Mitt Romney has made it official. The former Massachusetts governor and presidential nominee is running for Senate from Utah. He's widely considered a heavy favorite to win the seat now held by the longtime senator, Republican Orrin Hatch, who is retiring at the end of this term. Orrin Hatch is retiring? Oh, no. <laughs> Taking his place, most likely, is going to be Mitt Romney. In fact, let's be honest, he's definitely going to win, right? The dude's got resting senator face. Look at him, right? <laughs> yeah, his portrait just comes with the Senate office before you hang up your own. That's how it works. And for Romney, running in a state that's 80% white is a smart move. Uh, because the last time he tried to appeal to black people, it got a little whack, yo. Who's got your camera, though? <laughs> <laughs> Who let the dogs out? Who? Who? Who, who, who? You know, Romney might not have been good at campaigning, but he would have been a five-star Uber driver. He'd be like, oh, hello, black person. I know what kind of music you like. Yeah. Uh, do you guys like Bernie Sanders? Well, then you will love what came out of his balls. Bernie Sanders' son is entering the family biz. Levy Sanders has just announced that he's running for Congress in New Hampshire to replace retiring Democratic Congresswoman Carol Shea Porter. Increasingly, people understand that we need to have a living wage, that we need to have Medicare for all, that we need to have tuition-free colleges and universities. So I do talk to my dad uh, about it. You know, I'm very proud of, of what uh, you know, he has, has accomplished. Uh, but I'm running, you know, on my own views. Bernie Sanders, you are the father. <laughs> this is the shortest Maury episode ever. It's like a clone of him. 
Yeah, I, I don't know about you, but I can't believe that Bernie even has a son. I just assumed that he skipped father and went straight to grandpa, you know? <laughs> so Republicans have old new people running. Democrats have some new old people running. But as with any election, there's always going to be someone who's doing it just for the fame. Conservative commentator Stacey Dash says she's running for Congress. The former actress and co-star of the movie Clueless wants to represent a Southern California congressional district that includes Compton and L.A.'s Watts neighborhood. She's running as a Republican in Compton and Watts? I mean, Compton and Watts sort of sounds like a BBC detective show, but uh, they're actually neighborhoods so black they make Wakanda look like a Panera. And I'm guessing that they aren't big fans of Stacey Dash's most recent role as Fox News commentator. Either you want to be segregated or you want to be integrated. And if you want to be integrated, then you don't need to have things like BET. There is no need for a BET or a BET Awards or an Image Awards or an NAACP for that matter. We don't need it anymore. This shouldn't be a Black History Month. You know, we're Americans, period. Good Lord. Forget Congress. Stacey Dash should run for president of the sunken place. Yeah. But look, Stacey isn't running because she actually expects to win, right? We know this is a publicity stunt to raise her profile for her next job, which I'm guessing is either going to be Big Brother or, or uh, to the star of a movie that only gets released in Bulgaria. And look, I don't even blame her, you know, because running just to become more famous actually works. Yeah, the only time it didn't work was when Donald Trump did it, but then he won by accident. Yeah, he's that bad or that good. I can't tell which one it is. The point is, we'd better pray that Vladimir Putin isn't a big fan of Clueless. He's like, spell the election as if. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Daily Show. My guest tonight won a George Polk Award for her shocking report on migrant slave auctions in Libya. In a new report out today, she goes undercover in Nigeria, exposing the dangers and risk of sexual abuse many migrants face. Please welcome CNN senior international correspondent Nima El Bahir. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Your story that broke on CNN about the slave trade in Africa was one that was truly one of the most shocking stories most people had ever heard. Slavery in 2018. Is it as widespread as it seems to be? Is it something that people should be as worried as they are? In Libya, yes. And I think that this is something we're still trying to piece together. We're still working to understand this. And what is extraordinary is that the slavery is part and parcel of their business model. Right. You want to go to Europe, you have been sold on this dream of Europe, and they send out almost like advertising campaigns. People into these communities, these young kids, 17, 18, 19, right. we can get you to Europe. You don't have the money, we will give you the money. We will loan you the money. Wow. So it's indentured servitude built into it. But that's the Nigerian or the Eritrean aspect, the different source countries. When you get to Libya, then they say, well, actually, how much did you pay? No, it is thousands more. And this is how you're going to pay it off. And a lot of these people are then uh, held as, uh, you know, they're, they're kidnapped by the, the, the slave traders. Their families have to pay a ransom. 
How is it that the story doesn't seem to filter back to everyone that is trying to find their way to a better life? Is it is it that people don't believe it, or is it just that there is no network in the countries to warn people of the slave trade? I think it's a combination of the fact that human optimism has no limits. People presume this isn't going to happen to me. Right. And also that they are coming from the most horrifying environments, the, the poverty, uh, the repression in countries like Eritrea, the war in, in the west of Sudan, where I'm from, in Darfur, and anything looks better than that. Right. When you look at the people who are traveling across to these countries, oftentimes people don't seem to express as much sympathy for them because they go like, well, they're, they're trying to sneak into another country or they're, you know, they're trying to get there, they're trying to smuggle themselves mm-hmm. in. You, you take issue with that term smuggling or why? I do because especially when you hear the term economic migrant, right. there's, there's this real sense that they're kind of trying to, to lay that down. Economic migrant, like people are kind of wandering onto a plane, dragging their carry-ons right, behind right, them. Right. Here we are, we're economically migrating. They're being trafficked. And smuggling legally and trafficking, they're very difficult to kind of disentangle. Uh But when you, as I was in that little clip you showed, when you are told that part of your journey, sexual abuse and rape and exploitation, is part of that journey, that's trafficking. And therefore, when people call it economic migration, they're choosing to step back and not act. When you were creating that story, when you were reporting on that, you went undercover as a would-be migrant, trying to work her way through to see how it all goes down. That must have been a terrifying experience. Did it give you a a larger understanding of what women are going through in Africa as they try to make their way to these European countries? Yeah, because in the moment, I think, of course... I know intellectually that, first of all, I'm not alone. I had my amazing producer, right. Lenny Laposa, with me. And we had, we had a backup plan. You know, we had a, you know, a cordon, in right. a sense. But in that moment, when that man was so close, and I'd spent about 45 minutes in a car with him, just, I mean, it's, it's, it's ridiculous, but it's horrible to even think about it. You know, him kind of squeezed against me the intimidation and he looked down and he saw my wedding ring and he said to me are you married and I said yes and he said that doesn't exist anymore not on this journey and it was it was a tiny glimpse into what these kids these 17 18 19 year old girls how must it feel for them when you look at responsibility is there a reason it's happening in Libya specifically why is that the hotbed of the slave trade right now? Because you have entire communities, entire towns, for example, like Sebha, which is the main thoroughfare into Libya, down in the southeast, that is under the control of, of, of militias and criminal gangs. Right. You have no government footprint far out beyond Tripoli, and you have competing power bases. And I remember President Obama, at the end of his administration, he said that he believed Libya was one of the biggest mistakes because there was no effective intervention. And this is what a lack of effective intervention looks like, right. a failed state. You, it is a dilemma for many people. I, I always wondered how the people of Libya feel about it because at the time, the story was liberation. Muammar Gaddafi has been killed the country is free. And then you look at Libya now, and it's descended into a world where there is literally a slave trade. 
Do people now look back and, and wish on a time when Muammar Gaddafi was in power? Yeah, amazingly they do. There is this extraordinary nostalgia for Gaddafi and his rule because there's a nostalgia for stability. Right. Because their hope was that... And, you know, obviously it's incredibly naive to believe that any country would want to put boots on the ground right, right, post right. the Iraq experience. But there was a sense that there would at least be some kind of stabilization effort. Right. And that didn't happen. And so people are kind of looking back and saying, well, when was the last time we were stable? Oh, it was under Gaddafi. Wow, that's a scary place to be in. For people who see these stories on the side of the world, I mean, after your report came out, people were hashtagging. Many of us felt helpless because you are. Is there anything that a person on this side of the world can do uh, to help in any way with the situation? Well, I mean, we are honestly just so incredibly grateful that you, you know, you've had me on tonight because as long as we keep reminding people that this is still happening, because I think at the time everybody heard all this noise right. and we all thought, well, something, someone somewhere, I don't know who is, but someone is doing something, goddammit. Right. But of course, no one was. Wow. The Security Council met four times, and they still, haven't, they still haven't found an effective way through this. But I think if we keep reminding them that we care, then I think ultimately they will be forced to do something. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. To learn more about Nema's reporting and to get involved in the fight against modern-day slavery, go to cnn.com slash freedom. Nema Elba here, everybody. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast.